The text for this morning's message comes from John's Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 8. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for testimony to bear witness to the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. Now let's remember why this gospel was written. All right, we'll do this every week, I think, as long as we're on these first 18 verses. John 20, 31, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in His name. And therefore, as a minister of these words to you this morning, my goal has to be that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have newness of life in His name. And the reason I say newness of life is because when you read through this gospel, especially, say, chapter 10... Verse 10, where Jesus distinguishes himself from the thief that comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He says, I came, they, my sheep, might have life and have it more abundantly. And that little Greek word perison there for abundantly means excess, superfluity, more than enough. And so the point is, if this gospel brings you to faith in Jesus, it also brings you to a supernatural experience which means that you have life upon life, excess life, life as though you were born from the dead, which you were through the Word. In fact, it says here in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my Word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Not will someday enter into life, but has already entered into a a life that John 10.10 calls abundant life, eternal life, excess, overflowing life upon life. And therefore, the goal of this morning's message is real plain if I'm faithful to the Gospel, isn't it? First, if I'm a faithful minister of these words... The Holy Spirit will be using me to increase the faith of believers and beget faith in unbelievers. And as a second means, or a second end, the end, would be that you have life. That if you came in feeling dead this morning, if you came in burdened and down and saying, the last thing my experience today is abundant life, that you could go out by the power of this Word and the Holy Spirit saying, He touched me. God touched me through His Word. And now there's life upon life. I had some life to get me here, but now I've got life upon life as I go out because God met me this morning. Let's pray. Father, this kind of goal, this kind of desire, my heart's desire for these friends is not something that I can give them. You can give them. 
And I just plead, oh God, that you would come right now by your Holy Spirit and take up residence in these pews, gathering around souls and hearts, some in rebellion, some broken down with burdens, some frightened, some hungry and thirsty, some happy. Lord, you know everyone. Do the work that needs to be done by your word, I pray. By this man who was sent named John, grant, I pray, that his testimony would beget faith and life. In Jesus' name, amen. This text is short. It can be summed up in three, three statements. Number one, God sent a man named John, verse 6. Number two, John came to bear testimony to the light. Number three, the aim of the testimony was that all might believe. You can see those very simply in verses 6 and 7. Let's take them one at a time and watch how they move us toward the goal of faith and life. First, God sent a man named John. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, the question I raised as I read these verses was, why does John get introduced right here? Because it seems like an interruption. It seems abrupt. You're reading in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And in verse 9, right after this little paragraph, the light has shone into the world. And you wonder, why did he interrupt this theme of light coming into the world and shining with this introduction of John the Baptist. It does the same thing down in the bottom paragraph that we'll see in two weeks. Why not finish the introduction of Jesus in a glorious, a continuous way and then say, and on the scene came John, instead of interrupting twice in this prologue with John. Well, he could have done that. He could have written it differently, but he didn't. And uh, my job and your job is to try to experience the effect of the way he wrote it. And the effect it has on me, and I just commend it to you for your consideration, perhaps it has the same on you, is to make crystal clear from the very outset that God's way of making the light shine in the dark and spreading the light which cannot be overcome is by using human beings. In other words, he could have kept going and you could have gotten the impression that all is up to Jesus and He will come, He will shine, He is God and He will fill the world with His light. And just as soon as He introduces Jesus as the light that can't be overcome, He says, and there was a man who came to witness. So that the light from the very outset, is seen to advance in the world by means of human beings and their testimonies. There was a man, a human being, sent from God, whose name was John. God could have done it all by angels. God could have done it by writing big gospel letters in the sky with big white billowy letters. Nobody could miss. Jesus is the light of the world. 
Jesus is the Son of God. Believe on Jesus, Minneapolis. Big white letters right across the sky. Nobody missed it. Must be of God. Everybody believes. Could have done it with the wind howling around corners and making them speak words. Believe on Jesus. Could have done it any way he wanted. And he chose a man named John and all you people. He chose people to make the light known. Now, there's a principle here. And the principle gains force and power in its generality when you realize that John was sent to bear witness while the light was there. I mean, as soon as Jesus, the light, came into the world, God called and raised up John... And he came right in alongside Jesus as a witness to the light. I mean, if there's ever a time when the light doesn't need a witness, it's when the light is shining. It's only when the light goes back to heaven that you need a witness, right? Wrong. Jesus evidently, or God in his wisdom says, the best way for me to bring the most happiness to the greatest number and the most glory to my son is to use people to witness. I want them to herald Him. I want them to announce Him and proclaim Him. I want to bless people with the privilege of announcing and witnessing to my Son. That's the way He chose to do it. If I'm on track with why, good. If I'm not, there must be a better reason than I can think of. Now, there are two implications for you and me here from this principle that God gets the light spread with human witnesses. The first implication is this. You all should be alert to a possible sending in your own life. You should be open-eared and wide-eyed to God year by year that He might choose to call and send you to bear witness to the light. Now, I know that according to Matthew 5.16, we are all the light of the world. And I know from Acts 1.8 and 1 John 2.9 that we are all to bear witness to the light. But there is still true that God, in special ways, for special tasks, sends people. For example, texts like this show that to be true. Pray the Lord of the harvest that He might, what? Send forth laborers into his harvest. Or Romans 10:14, how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach unless they be sent? Or Acts 20:28, 20, talking about pastors and churches, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has set you as overseers. God sends, God sends, God sets. He calls people in unique ways today for unique tasks. And you should be open, listening. And it might be that He would give you a vocational task that you don't now have. It might be that He would give you a one-year task that you don't now have. It might be that He would give you a half-hour task, one across the ocean, one across the street. And it might be so unique and so unmistakable that somebody, when you're done, would say, there was a man named Jerry sent from God this afternoon. Here's the second implication. Not only should 
you be open to God sending you on some mission, you should also be open to hearing the mission of others that God sent you. God means to communicate to you through people as well as through the Bible. Otherwise, the whole point of ordaining that there be pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets in the church would be pointless. You should be praying, Lord, not only open my ears to the Bible, but help me to hear your voice when Pastor John preaches. Help me to hear your voice in Sunday school. If you're a child, help me to hear your voice from my parents. God means to speak to us through people. My prayer for myself when my life on earth is done is that there will be thousands and thousands of people who will have heard such a decisive, life-changing word through this mouth that they will say at my funeral, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And I can't help but think that there will be many young women in this church and beyond this church who look back on their girl days and Wednesday nights who will say, there was a woman sent from God whose name was Marlene. And I wonder, I wonder how many people, Buzz, will say, there was a woman sent from God whose name was Lala. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that the only people God sends are ordained people or even professional Christian leaders. Live in such a way so that you hear those people and so under God's call would become one of those people. That's the first point I see in this text, that God uses humans to advance the light. Here's the second one. John came for a testimony to bear witness to the light. Verse 7. John came for a testimony to bear witness to the light. Which means, in principle, that the way God uses humans is by their testimony. Now, what, what is a witness who bears testimony? A witness is a person that has some knowledge and some experience that is valuable for establishing a fact that's in dispute, often in a courtroom. A person who has some knowledge and some experience that is needed and is valuable and helpful and credible in establishing a fact that's in dispute. Now, that's the kind of thing God uses in humans to spread the light. Testimony. Not doctoral degrees, necessarily. Not seminary educations, necessarily. But valid, credible, anointed testimonies. And you know all it takes to give a testimony? Experience. Valid, credible dealings with the living God. That's what it takes to bear testimony. Now, John knew something about Jesus, and he had an experience with Jesus. I want you to look at verses 33 and 34 
across the page in my Bible. Might be over the page in yours. John 1, 33 and 34. Let's look at this. John says, I myself did not know him. So when he came on the scene, he didn't know who the Messiah was. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me, that is God, to baptize with water said to me. So God had had some dealings with John out there in the wilderness. He'd been talking to him. Here's what he said. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And now, that's already happened as he said this. The dove had come and he'd seen it. And so he says, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So the way it happened for John was that God took him into the wilderness. And it may be that many of us need to go into the wilderness. And he dealt with him. And he told him some things. He didn't tell him that it'll be Jesus with the birthmark on the side of his face, the long hair with smile. He didn't say that. He did not know Jesus. He said a lot about Jesus, and he said, he'll come to you, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit will come upon him, you'll know it, and when it rests upon him, he's the one. And from that day on, the testimony was directed to the man, Jesus Christ, until John was killed for the faithfulness of his testimony. Jonathan Edwards in... Uh, August of 19, uh, 1744, preached a, an ordination sermon for a young man named uh, Robert, Robert Abercrombie. And he took his text from John 5.35. And this text in John 5.35 has provided for me a, a deep insight into the nature of John's testimony and witness. If you want to look at it, you can. It's just a brief sentence. Jesus says about John's witness, his testimony, He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. And Edwards took those two words. John was a burning and a shining lamp. And he developed two points, namely a credible witness burns with zeal and shines with truth. There is heat and there is light. He was a burning and a shining light. And that's what we want so much at Bethlehem. We want the fire and the heat of zeal and love and we want the lucid, clear light of truth and logic. Now let's look at these two things in John's testimony. John's Ministry as a witness. First, the light of truth came forth from his mouth. God had taught him a lot about the coming Messiah in the wilderness. Let me just take chapter 1 and point out four or five things that he saw and said about Jesus. And I want to commend them to you this morning. Remember, the purpose and the goal of this gospel, this man, this sermon, is that you might believe on Jesus. So let's see the Jesus on whom we should believe and who is worthy of our faith. First, in verse 23, John identifies himself as a voice crying in the wilderness. 
make straight the way of the Lord. The first thing he says is, Jesus is Lord. Now, what makes that so staggering and really helps explain some of the other insights he has into Jesus is in Isaiah 40, verse 3, the Lord is Jehovah. John dares to say with that text, I came to prepare the way of the Lord. There he is. Which is another way of saying the word has become flesh. That's the kind of thing God was dealing with John about in the wilderness. Nobody ever dreamed of saying such a thing. Here's the second observation from verse 27. John speaks of Jesus as he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And so the second thing John says in his witness is, He is so great that I, though I am a prophet called of God, am not worthy to touch his feet. A witness bears witness to the greatness of Jesus. Third, verse 29, John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the Lamb of God. Where did John learn that? Well, God could have just told him, but I think John meditated long and hard on the book of Isaiah because he quotes it. And Isaiah 53, 7 says, Jesus went like a lamb to the slaughter. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, He bore our iniquities. He didn't have to hear God to know that the Messiah would be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. All he had to do was have a direction for this biblical prophecy. Fourth, verse 33, John says, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That is, He says now, Jesus is so much greater than I because all I'm doing is immersing people in water. He's going to immerse people in the Holy Spirit. He's going to pour out His Holy Spirit to such a degree that you're going to be enveloped in the Spirit of His love. That's the man that you're dealing with in Jesus Christ. That's the testimony we should bear to Him. Finally, He says in verse 34, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Jesus is the very Son of the Father. So, that's just to illustrate that out of the mouth of this witness, this human witness, just like us, was coming truth. Light was shining on the reality of Jesus Christ. That's the point of witnessing. To let light shine upon Jesus so that He appears beautiful and worthy and true and credible. But not only must a witness shine with truth, a witness must burn with zeal. And we all know that John the Baptist did this. Let me mention three ways in which he did it. John's simplicity. John's simplicity. He had spent many years in the wilderness, evidently, and he was dressed when he came in a leather garment like Elijah. He was eating honey and locusts. He had nothing to do with the luxuries of his day. His whole life was an indictment of comfort seekers. And his simplicity lended a powerful authenticity when he said, Let him who has two coats share with him who has none. Nobody could laugh at John. Nobody could open the door on his closet and say, Yeah, right on, John. 
Second, John's humility. John's life was a tragic life in many ways. I think of him in relationship to Moses. He was called of God. He was appointed of God. He was faithful in his ministry. He introduced and led the Christian movement forward and he was struck down dead by a fickle woman's desire and a king's fear. He he didn't even get to be a part of it. Jesus says he was the greatest man who ever lived. But John, in spite of that, accepted his role without any resentment and lived 110% that he might decrease and Jesus might increase. Verse 27, we saw already, I'm not worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. And listen to these words from chapter 3, verse 29. He who has the bride, that's Jesus, is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, that's John, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now full. He must increase. I must decrease. I tell you, there is a great authenticity in the testimony of a person who is lowly and humble and lifts up Jesus and hides behind Jesus. And third, the burning zeal of his witness was seen in his courage, John's courage, his simplicity and his humility and his courage. John held his message of righteousness right to the end. And when he was arrested, how many of us would have reasoned like this? Quite unlike the way Randall Terry is now reasoning in the Atlanta jail. Well, it wouldn't be prudent to get yourself arrested. I mean, just for calling one one ruler into question about a, an ill-timed and wrong divorce and remarriage. Let's not get upset about this because, I mean, what good will we do in jail? Right? I mean, there'll be more value if I could stay free and, and make more friends for Jesus. So, I mean, just one sin. Why should I risk my life? John is such a great example of a person who lived by principle and not by prudence. Prudence. I don't even like the word. I don't want to talk about it in relationship to finances at this church. I don't like the word prudence. He was a man of great courage. And therefore, his witness was powerful. So we've seen two points, and the last one is very short as we close. The first point is... God uses humans to spread the light. The second point is, God uses those humans by their testimony that shines with truth and burns with zeal. And the last point is very simple. Verse 7 closes with these words, that all might believe through Him. And notice, it says through Him, not on Him, because everything He did and said was to get people to believe on Jesus. God chose and sent John that we might believe on Jesus. John shone with truth that we might believe on Jesus. John burned with zeal that we might believe on Jesus. The other John wrote this gospel that we might believe on Jesus. This John is preaching this message that you might believe on Jesus this morning. And so I'd like us to bow in prayer and pray 
that we would believe on Jesus. Let's pray. And Father, please, Your Son Jesus is so worthy. Would You right now in the stillness of this closing moment incline our hearts to believe, to believe that He is the Lord Jehovah in the flesh. To believe that He was so great, the greatest man that ever lived was not worthy to tie shoes. To believe that He was and is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the sin of everybody in the world who believes in Him. That He is the Bridegroom and that everyone who follows Him is part of the cherished and loved and protected bride to believe that he baptizes in the Holy Spirit that he pours out his spirit in such fullness that we are swallowed up and enveloped in the love of the spirit oh father grant I pray that everyone would be given faith this morning that those who know you and love you and believe you would advance in their faith and believe you more and trust you more And that those who don't trust you, Lord, who've walked unbelieving into this room, would right now hear the voice of the Holy Spirit commending Christ with such urgency and such attractiveness that they believe right now. And let me just admonish you that if anyone is here who feels like you're hindered for some reason from fully believing in Jesus... Would you let me know that or tell somebody at this church whom you know and trust so that we might do two things. One, show you more reasons why Jesus should be trusted and pray with you for the grace to believe. Christmas is a wonderful time to believe and have overflowing and abundant and excess and surplus life. All the people said, Amen.